Hello again, friends. This is Mike, and today I want to do a podcast. This is both audio and video about St. Michael. September 29th is the feast day of St. Michael, and I have a story about him and a couple of reflections. So stand by. Hello again, friends and fellow truth seekers. Mike Nicholas here with another episode of the Soul Unleashed podcast where my goal is to help you break out of old paradigms, ask the right questions in your search for a deeper meaning for your life, and help you shift from a spiritual skeptic to a free thinker. Let's dive in with today's adventure. Thank you for joining me today. I want to start by reading the prayer of St. Michael, or reciting the prayer of St. Michael. I know it by heart. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. That prayer I've known since I could speak. St. Michael has always been my patron saint because of my name, Michael, and September 29th was always a special day for me. The thing that wanted me to do this podcast was September 29th of this year, I saw something online about a video. It was actually a YouTube video, but it was a recording of something done in 1960, I believe. And it's a story about how St. Michael saved some U.S. Marines during the Korean War. And it's a letter that a young Marine wrote home to his mother in 1950 about how St. Michael saved him on this patrol. I had never heard of this. I guess all my time with St. Michael, I just never heard of this. And so I'll tell you the story, then tell you kind of what I think about it now, because the way I would have thought about this story years ago is different from how I think about think about it now. I also just want to mention that both Catholics and Orthodox Christians, uh, they all pray, we all pray to saints and angels. And it's not that we're praying to the divine in terms of praying to them for help, but we're praying for them to intercede with God. And and my understanding has always been that they're close to God, and so they can intercede for us for the intentions that we have and the prayers that we have. I, I don't necessarily believe that's the case anymore, but that's what I always grew up believing, and I think that's why so many people pray. St. Michael has long been considered a patron saint of soldiers and warriors and police because in the Bible, there's a number of places in the Bible, both I think in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelations, where he's referred to as being warlike or God, leader of God's army. And so he's often portrayed with a sword in his hand. And so that warlike demeanor causes him to be a patron saint of a lot of soldiers. Anyway, so here's the story. And when you follow the link in my show notes, it'll take you to it being read by a chaplain, Father Walter Muldy, and he was reading the letter. You'll see this story often portrayed every place I saw it. It said, true story. This is a true story. The true story of a Marine named Michael. And I would have always accepted it as a true story up until now. But Michael's out on a patrol and he's writing this in a letter back to his mother and he's walking along and he's leading a small unit of men and he's out in front and so that he gets some distance between him and the rest of the men and suddenly there's another marine walking alongside of him and it's a large 
man, about six foot four, he says, dressed as a Marine. And he says, hey, how you doing? How you doing? And he said, my name's Michael. And he said, I know, my name's Michael too. And he goes, Michael, Michael, Michael the morning. Now, one thing this soldier mentions, Michael, is that he, his mother taught him this prayer, a different prayer about St. Michael, but it started out, Michael, Michael the morning, fresh cord of heaven adorning, keep me safe today, and in time of temptation, keep the devil away. That prayer is something he was taught as a young boy, and he taught it to a lot of the soldiers in his unit. And so when he said to this other big guy, and he said, Michael, Michael the morning, that kind of threw him off a little bit. Well, they keep walking. And this huge snowstorm comes, and now he gets really separated from the rest of the men. And he starts calling for this guy, Michael. And Michael kind of grabs him and steadies him down and says, this is going to clear in a minute. And it does. And suddenly it's sunny. But now he doesn't see anybody around him except him and Michael. And Michael says to him, there's going to be trouble up ahead soon. He also noticed that although it was very, very cold out, he was breathing. Michael writing the letter was breathing, and there was a lot of frost and smoke coming from his breath, but he noticed that his buddy, this big Michael, had must have been in great shape, he says, because he had nothing coming out like, like that kind of air, no smoke. Suddenly they walk over a rise, and right in front of them are seven communist soldiers standing there, and immediately they point their rifles at Michael and his companion, and Michael yells to get down, he falls down, and the guys start shooting at them. The big Michael just keeps standing there staring at them. And for some reason, the, the Michael writing the letter thinks that he's scared or that he's like sometimes a, a, a bird gets frozen looking at a snake. He thought he was just frozen in fear looking at these guys, but he's just very calm. And he, he jumped up to pull the big Michael down and then he got shot in the chest and he thought he was dying. And the other Michael just laid over him and said, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And as he was looking at him, this is him telling the story, Michael's face seemed to start radiating. He appeared to just get much bigger. He appeared to grow these ginormous wings. And then he had this sword in his hand that had like a million lights beaming from it. And that's, he said, that's all he remembered. And then he passed out. Next thing he knows, he's coming to and he's being carried by all these guys, uh, the rest of his patrol. And... They're saying, how did you do that? How did you do that? And his first thing was, where's Michael? And they said, who are you talking about? And he says, the guy I was walking with. Where's the other guy I was walking with? And his sergeant said, you weren't walking with anybody. I had my eyes on you the whole time. You were by yourself until I lost you in the snowstorm. And he said, no, there was another big guy with me named Michael. And he said, look, buddy, look, uh, Michael, there was nobody with you. I know everybody in this unit. I picked them all out. You're the only Mike. He said, okay. And then the sergeant said to him, how did you do that? And he said, how did I do what? He said, how did you kill all those, those enemy soldiers? He said, I heard all the firing. We got up here. Your rifle wasn't even fired. Every single one of those guys was dead. They didn't have a bullet in them. And every single one of them was killed by a sword strike. So Michael says, I tell you the truth, Ma. That's all I can tell you. I tell you what I know. I tell you what I saw. And it ends there. And there's music and... Um, Everybody gets chills, I guess, right? I, I, mean, I, got, I got chills listening for, to the, for, for the first time. Um, and apparently they played this every year, like at Christmas time, at least in the Detroit area. Apparently Michael was from Indiana. So here's the thing, right? Nobody ever has talked to 
Michael that wrote the letter. They've never actually found his mother. The priest, Father Walter Muldy, said that he did meet the mother and talk to her, and she confirmed the letter. Um, but no one knows where the letter is now or whatever. Beautiful story. Years ago, I would have thought, hey, how wonderful, you know, St. Michael, all those prayers. I used to wear a St. Michael medal. Sorry. I used to wear a St. Michael medal until recently. And um, I still have it someplace. I mean, I, I love St. Michael. But now I have questions, okay? And as this is part of the spiritual awakening, the soul awakening thing. I don't have answers really, but I'm asking questions that I'm sharing with you now because I wonder about these kind of things. Like, that's a beautiful story and a moving story, you know, un- unless you were a Chinese soldier suddenly staring at a freaking 12-foot angel with a sword in his hand, um, then it's not such a great story, right? Those those guys, the other seven guys, although they were communist soldiers, they weren't any happy to be out there in the snow and the cold than Michael was. They were doing their job, and, you know, when he came over the ridge, they started shooting at him. It kind of seems unfair to have an angel suddenly start killing you, right? I mean, if the roles had been reversed... And they had been American soldiers, seven American soldiers, and a communist soldier, Chinese soldier, had come over the hill, and they started shooting at him, and suddenly there's this 15-foot giant Buddha with a club, and he clubs them all to death. We would think that was horrible, or that that was, uh, that was Satan or somebody, right? But as long as it's St. Michael, as long as it's our angel killing the bad guys, uh, it, it seems to be okay. So... Those are the kind of questions I started I started thinking was, is it okay for angels to kill humans, right? It seems like an unfair fight, first of all. And then all these questions arise. So there's, there's basically five things I just wanted to cover in terms of concerns I have about angels, divine beings, killing humans here on earth. One is divine justice and human life. And so it raises questions for me about the sanctity of, and value of human life. And it makes me question whether such direct interventions, angels killing men, uh, are consistent with the notions of divine love and divine mercy and, and free will. It just does not jive for me. The other thing is whether or not you take it symbolically or literally. So there are a lot of people that, that take what happens, stories like this, they take them symbolically, like Maybe Michael was hallucinating a little bit, or the Spirit of God came over him, or the Holy Spirit, um, you know, and, and maybe those those soldiers were killed by other gunfire or whatever, and it just makes for a nice story. Where there's other people that take it literally, just like they take the Bible literally. St. Michael was there, it was a miracle, he had a sword, he hacked those seven guys up, and hallelujah, you know. So, I, I don't, I have trouble taking it literally as you can probably tell. Also, there's a question about divine partiality. That's the third thing. You know, whose side is God on, kind of, is is my question. It makes you wonder whether or not there's any kind of divine favoritism or partiality, and that causes a lot of theological questions. Um, you know, whether whether the divine God would choose sides in human affairs. Is that something that, that we expect God to do? You know, there's a lot of people that said, sure, God chooses the side of right and light and good. Um, I, I guess if it's if it's clear cut, you know, this guy's a bad guy and this guy's a good guy, that makes it easy to 
think that. But, you know, those seven guys that were killed by St. Michael ostensibly had families, had wives, had children. I'm not sure that they would think that it was that clear cut. So anyway, it makes me wonder about divine partiality. A lot of times I think about <laughs> I think about this in silly terms, right? When you're praying for your football team to win or you're praying for your high school team to win. You know, a lot of times when, when my when I was in high school, I was praying for our school to win and we were a Catholic school and we were playing another Catholic school and you know, it was a question of I wonder if we're praying harder than they're praying. Um does God really take side in these kind of things? I, I don't know. <clears throat> but I have trouble believing that uh we always believe we're fighting a righteous war, right? World War II against the Nazis, uh, Vietnam against communism, World War One against the, the, the Kaiser. I guess we always believe we're on the side of right, and, and therefore it's okay if God intervenes on our side. I, I just Anyway, partiality is the third thing. The fourth thing is the problem of evil. There's a name for this. It's called the, the, theodicy. I, I say that uh, with a little difficulty because it's, it's new to me, but it basically means if celestial beings, God, can intervene to exact justice or protect the innocent, why does evil exist? Okay, if if God can intervene and stop bad things, why do bad things happen? That for me is one heck of a question. Well, you could say it's free will. God, God gave us free will. God gave us free will, except that if he's got angels killing people, that's not free will. So it makes me wonder, and I'll talk to you a second about some other examples of, of angels killing people, which come straight out of the Bible. But the question of evil is also tied up in this. If God can intervene, if the divine can intervene and save people and cause things to, to be righteous, why does evil exist? So the last point is, Point number five, which talks about some ethical implications. The portrayal of divine beings basically is being directly participants in acts of violence raised ethical questions for me and, and many other people about the nature of divinity and about religious traditions and how, how, the, how divine actions serve as an example for human beings if many, many people are being killed, right? I want to talk about some b- biblical accounts of angels, God, killing people. When I saw the story or got into the story about St. Michael, it occurred to me, I wonder if there are other examples of angels killing human beings. Well, yes, there are, there are plenty of them in the Bible, okay? You're familiar with some of the basic ones, you know, the angel of death killing all the firstborn in Egypt, uh, Moses having the Red Sea come in and crash and kill all of uh, all of Pharaoh's armies. I mean, we cheer those things on. Yay, team. Uh, I saw the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, and I was cheering along with everybody else, you know, when Moses killed all of Pharaoh's people and uh, the, the, the firstborn died. But now I think about those kind of things, and it's like, you know, if, if all the firstborn in Egypt died, well, if, if you were Pharaoh, you understood what was going on. But if you were Joe Egyptian, and you get taking your vegetables to market, and you don't know the Pharaoh, certainly, and you sure as heck don't know who Moses is or care, and your son's with you, and he's riding your cart to the to the market, and suddenly he kills over dead, because he's your firstborn, you know, that just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. And that, that poor guy, 
had nothing to do with what Moses was was going through. So, anyway, a couple other examples is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. There, they were wicked cities, and angels completely destroyed those two cities. There are a couple others, though, of big-time death and destruction by angels. In 2 Kings chapter 19, talks about an army besieging the city of Jerusalem, and it was the Assyrians, and they were invading, and King Hezekiah of Judah was in Jerusalem, and the Assyrians were about to crush them, and an angel of the Lord is said to have struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night as they were besieging Jerusalem. And of course, that's a wonderful victory, a huge miracle. Everybody's happy, except the Assyrians, I guess. Uh, and of course, they went away. Another example is in 2 Samuel, chapter 24. David conducts the census of Israel and Judah, which was seen as a sin, leading God to give David a choice of punishments. David chose a pestilence, and an angel of the Lord brings a three-day plague upon Israel, killing 70,000 men. Strikes me as less than ideal. Here's a couple more examples. There's so many of them that I don't want to bore you to tears, but I just want to give you a sense that this whole thing about problems with divine intervention and and justice bothers me. The destruction of Jericho, described in Joshua uh, chapter 6. The Israelites are described as destroying the city of Jericho, quote, killing both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys. That's what they were told to do. You know the story, they marched around the city, they blew the trumpets, they shouted, the walls collapsed, they all rushed in. You know, the folks in Jericho, they were living a fine life probably up until the day the Israeli army showed up on their front door and they didn't invite them, they didn't ask for them to come. You know, and then, you know, yay team, uh, Jericho gets wiped out. There's another conquest described in Joshua chapter 8, the city of Ai. I, um, God commands Joshua to take this city. They end up killing 12,000 men and women and hanging the king. When they had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were there in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. I guess he was holding his javelin out while they, they killed him. He also took the body of the king, put it on a pole, hung it up there. You know, I guess he did that stuff in the Old Testament. Battle against the Amalekites. 1 Samuel. God commands King Saul, through the prophet Samuel, to destroy the Am- Amalekites, including every man, woman, and child. Saul screws up here. Because he doesn't kill the king. He spares the king, Agag, and some of the best animals. And God gets ticked off at that, which it just doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, God gets upset because Saul didn't kill everybody. He didn't kill the king. And so Saul suffers later. He, uh, his son gets killed and he loses some of his concubines, whatever. <clears throat> Two more examples is the Midianite War. This is described in Numbers chapter 31. God commands Moses to take vengeance on the Midianites, and the Israelites kill every male and the Midianite kings, but they spare some of the women and children. Moses orders them to kill every non-virgin woman and every male child, but to spare the virgin girls. At least a whole host of other questions, but I, I don't know why they did that. 
and just generally the conquest of the promised land in general. In Deuteronomy, as described in chapter 20, God commands the Israelites to completely destroy all the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, all the inhabitants of every city that they conquer. So, <laughs> that just gets back to the ethical implications of all this death and destruction. Now, some people might say, hey, that's just the Old Testament, maybe. But there's been plenty of death that's been perpetrated in, in, in furtherance of the New Testament. And uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. But all this came from, and those five things just came from my desire to to investigate. And one, one other thing, too, I, I was wondering, well, all, all this is the good guys killing the bad guys, right? This is all the, all the good... The Israelites, the good guys, the the American soldiers, the good guys. We're killing all the bad guys. We're God's helping us. Uh, yay, God. But is there any bad things, like bad armies? Like, are there any bad angels killing thousands of, of humans? Or does Satan have an army that's killing thousands of humans? Uh, no. There's no there's no account of that. Okay? There's an example of Satan taking away Job's family. But that was at the direction of God. You know, generally, Satan is described as being crafty and temptations and trying to take you away from God. <clears throat> but Satan's not out there with armies or angels killing 185,000 people in one night. Um, at least no place I've read. I guess that's just more food for thought. It makes me makes me think about it. Anyway... That's my thought for today. I got off on that the whole tangent with St. Michael thing. This is both a video and an audio podcast. So if you're able to hear both, that's awesome. I want it to be audio, uh, video so that you can see some of the references that I'm referring to in the Bible. Um, everything will be in the show notes, including the translation of the letter from that Marine Michael to his mother. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. Thank you for being on this journey with me. If you'd like to leave me a review, that'd be awesome. I really appreciate it, and I'll have another podcast for you Thursday. Bye-bye.